everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Streamtime Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead here at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, it's actually been quite a bit since we've actually seen each other. We had the Easter holidays, and then I believe you were in Spain on actual holidays themselves. So it's been quite a bit of time, but I'm a bit curious to know because, you know, we always have these fun conversations about, um, you know, our cultural differences, and you live in quite a cultural house. You know, how does Easter go to your house? You know, is, is the Easter bunny a thing in Australia? Are there baskets? Do you go on an Easter egg hunt? Like, what, what do they do in Australia? Ooh. Oh, good, good question. Well, actually, um, so my 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 mum's side, um, they come from an Orthodox religion. So uh, basically, they actually separate. They celebrate a different. I mean, they're not. We're not very religious, but there's a different Easter and a different Christmas date. So celebrate two Christmases and some and two Easter's, three times out of every four years. So that's good. You know, you get extra bits of everything, um, or not much at any one of them. I'm not sure how that plays out. So in Australia, yeah, a bit of the same stuff, but for the Orthodox stuff, we would hard boil eggs, then paint them, and then you have competitions to smash each other's eggs. That's a thing. And there's a bunch of other like uh, cakes and Eastery food that we would make, which are a lot of work, but they taste really nice. So they're good to make once a year. I can't remember some of the names of them, but um, so yeah, a bit, bit different to the traditional stuff. Uh, most of it otherwise is pretty stock standard. Uh, I'm always, whenever I can get a chance, I like to eat some chocolate. So there's plenty of eggs going around, hide them from the kids. So they're too hard to find. And so I can find them later once they're, they're in bed. Um, but no, it's uh it's always, a, always a fun time at Easter and the kids are getting a bit older now. So they're more into it. Yeah, I for, actually forgot about painting Easter eggs. That was always a fun thing we did in school where you had the little paint dye and the, the bowls of water and you got to, it's almost like doing tie-dye with eggs. I almost forgot about that, Nick, but, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be a dad hopefully here soon. I'll get to relive all those simple joys, you know, that just the little things in life. I still remember, have a vague recollection of when I was a kid and the first time I did that game, or first time I can remember doing that game and being so disappointed when they cracked and realized it was a real egg and it wasn't, a, it wasn't chocolate. Um, so, you know, eventually I grew out of that, but it took me a few years to overcome that real pain of like, I don't want a cooked egg. I want some chocolate eggs. Come on. Well, see the, we, when we had our Easter egg hunt, some of the, the eggs had like $5 and $20 bills. And then the $20 bill is like the big grand prize. But, uh, I, I grew up in a pretty big family had God, well, I'm from Kentucky, so I had a lot of cousins. Let's just put it that way. But the uh, Easter egg hunt got very, very competitive. But if you found the $20 bill, you were, you were king of the castle for the day. Man, you're playing some big stakes Easter egg hunts. Jeez. Um, I mean, what was interesting in Australia is we would also have, uh, outside of the bunnies, we would also have kangaroos and we would also have bunyips. Yeah, bunyips, exactly. I don't even know what a bunyip is, but it's some sort of animal from Australia. Uh, and they would also have all these other animals that would be akin to the the, the big the big Easter rabbit, but um, just another excuse for the chocolate companies to market you a different product and often they were full of other sorts of little goodies and so forth but um yeah i just eat whatever you gave to me as long as it was yeah. chocolate well speaking of the chocolate i think only the americans will get this reference but the reese's that come in the easter egg shape or at christmas in the christmas tree shape are better than just the regular old round reese's don't ask me why oh, don't know okay. why but i just guarantee they the, you they are better i like the paint the, the peanut butter yeah, is that, peanut butter. Yeah, yeah oh, covered in chocolate. Best. They're best. Yeah. They're the, they yeah. are the best. The greatest thing. I mean, I, if I ever buy those Reese's, which I have on occasion, I can't stop eating them, and I'm normally sick afterwards. But 
They're so damn good. <laughs> They're very good. So Nick, well, we spent been- four minutes talking about chocolates, but hey, that's what we're here for. We're here for entertainment. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Well, we'll talk a little bit more sports related now. I know you've been on a holiday, you've been enjoying your time off, but there was some big news right as we were heading into that Easter break, you know, the news around WWE and Endeavor. Um, my first takeaway was that is just a hell of a lot of zeros, but, you know, just kind of, like I said, you're probably not as tuned in as maybe um, you are, you know, taking some well-deserved time away. But what is just what was your sort of first reaction when you saw that news as you were heading off? Well, many people were calling that as the, the best marriage, right, between two parties, the, the 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 owners of the UFC partnering with WWE and seeing what transferable skills or approaches to business and entertainment they could bring together and, and learn from, e- from each other. Both are very successful entertainment businesses in their own right. Quite frankly, I just want to be in a board meeting where you've got uh, Dana White, Vince McMahon and Ari, McMahon, Ari Emanuel all going at it in uh, meetings. That would be a heck of a show. Please create the next version of Entourage like in the future with with those three guys going at it. I would just take my money. I don't care how much it is. I would, I would pay a premium to watch that in action. I've heard some pretty funny stories about Vince McMahon, including that he loves to eat at board meetings. Like when he was, particularly when he was training, just mm. would just eat away. But anyway, um, I won't. I won't go into other stories because they're mm. they're less P- PG. Anyway, um, yeah. Look, fascinating deal. I mean, it's a pretty massive deal and um, situation for this industry uh, to follow because that, it values them as you know, the two listed public businesses, right, in the US. Um, to bring those two worlds together, um, it makes Endeavor one of the most powerful um, sports businesses um, in the industry if you think what they do on the talent side what the the ufc the other rights they own um wow i i can't even think about it. i think they're saying collectively those two businesses are worth 21 something billion dollars uh in market cap which is yeah it's a bloody lot of money um so scale impact it's almost to the point where you think about anti-competitor laws, it's the sort of scale of businesses that you think would be looked at and reviewed, even though I don't think that would hold up in any way because it's not a monopoly, but um, pretty significant. Um, a lot of people expected this this type of deal to at least be on the cards. And I can't wait to see what comes out of it. You know, They've got two re- really interesting approaches to how they do broadcasting, digital, streaming and events and look forward to seeing if something manifests out of it. I hope they uh, anecdotally sign, uh, sign a UFC fighter by accident to the WWE and then he just goes to town and, uh, uh, <laughs> and it makes it some real entertaining show by accident. Uh, but yeah, look, let's, see what, let's see what comes from here. There's surely going to be some very interesting cross promotion. It just, it, it makes too much sense, but yeah, it, It'll be really interesting. Uh, we'll also ask our technology editor, Steve McCaskill, because he's obviously a massive mm. WWE fan. So we'll make sure to get him on at some point, give his thoughts on that. Well, you'd be just interesting, some anecdotal things, but really small things. But like UFC have the UFC Fight Pass. Um, they have a whole host of different combat sports that are available on UFC, not just the, their own um, content. So it'd be interesting to see if they do small things like put a bit of WWE on the UFC Fight Pass. Obviously, they in the US, they have their deal with Peacock, um, but in a lot of the markets, they don't. So will WWE start to have a presence on UFC's platforms and perhaps even vice versa? Would a bit of just a, a, a bit of UFC content all of a sudden pop up on WWE's networks just to see if there's any crossover behaviors or audiences you can start to see um, transfer across um, both worlds? You think about what first-party data they could collect on those audiences, and if they can start to see how much they correlate and crossover, that would be some fascinating insight uh, into that industry and into the audience they've, they both have. 
Yeah, well, I think the other interest, the WWE, they're arguably the best storytellers in the world. You know, maybe you put Disney up there, you know, but like WWE is great at it. And, you know, the UFC, obviously, the thing we love about live sports is the parody and the fact that the unscripted can happen. But there's no reason within that catalog, WWE knows how to tell a great story. So, you know, they've done things like the Ultimate Fighter and things like that to try to do some more unscripted slash unscripted type of content. So I think even just the learnings from what the WWE has been able to do on that side would certainly play into whatever UFC is going to do as well. It doesn't have to just be a straight swap of content, but just the expertise and some of the production. Yeah, completely. I think there were going to be a lot of crossover abilities there. And I mean, you think about what WWE has recently done with even getting uh, Logan Paul involved. Um, I think they even wasn't, didn't he jumping suplex or do some sort of big move on KSI in a prime bottle. I mean, they're, they're, they're not they're not stupid that's for sure they are on top of the the ways to keep engaged with fans and younger audiences and quite frankly i'm amazed at what wwe do because i don't get it but there's millions and millions of fans across the world that absolutely love it and live for it so uh they are definitely doing they are definitely the benchmark for a lot of entertainment properties and sports properties that's for sure yeah. Well, today, Nick's podcast, it's a bit of a role reversal, Nick. I'm, I get to be the one that is the star in the spotlight where today is going to be today's podcast is going to be a back to back feature, actually. And pretty much it's going to be in everything you need to know about the NFL Sunday NFL ticket uh, deal that recently took place in the USA. So while we were out in New York City, I had the opportunity to interview on back to back days, Blake Stutchin, who's the, the VP and head of digital media business development for the NFL. And I also spoke to John Cruz, who's the director, global head of sports partnerships at YouTube. Um, And it was really interesting because I got to ask the same questions about the same thing, but then you got to hear it from the broadcast distributor side with YouTube. But then you also got to hear about from the rights holder perspective um, with the NFL. And, you know, some answers are similar. Some answers um, are a little bit different depending on what side you're at. But it was, like I said, hopefully by the end of this episode, you should be able to know everything that it is you want to know about that. I thought some interesting things to take away from it is a lot of people will see this deal, but maybe what's not recognized is the NFL and the YouTube have had a partnership for over eight years. Um, You know, a lot of early talk had been Apple, maybe Amazon would sneak in. And it does sound like YouTube came in a bit late in the day, but the reason they were able to successfully do that is the the length of the relationship that they've had there. The NFL and YouTube have already kind of understood each other's objectives, what both sides of the businesses are trying to do. And I thought it was really interesting how they both leaned into the fact that this deal that did come about isn't something that was just short-sighted. It is something that's probably developed over a very long time. And I, I guess the other interesting part is this is the last deal the NFL had left available to it with its existing media rights. Now, you know, something might pop up now or over the next 10 years, but really this was the last deal that had to get sorted. Uh, so it kind of solidifies that that media business that, what is it, $100 billion over the next 10 years that they've got all locked in. And yeah, it was just a really interesting conversation between the two. Yeah, I, I listened to to both and I think there's a few things that I took out of it. One is it feels like and I'm this not they hadn't said this categorically, but both YouTube I mean YouTube's still gonna they haven't got the whole plan nailed yet. They're still gonna work it out. They've got time to work it out. They don't need to get everything dotted I's dotted and T's crossed, but you know, there's conversations about will they will they have a different subscription model and proposition completely. Um the the noise I heard is that YouTube did come in last minute to steal the Sunday ticket away from some of the other people that were at at play for it. 
but it's a big it's a, it's a big moment for YouTube to to finally go from what I used to love about their model is they didn't make that commitment to spend money on on sports rights because they didn't need to. Well, now they've done it. Now they've opened up the floodgates a little bit and. If anyone's going to be able to monetize and maximize advertising revenue, it's going to be YouTube, uh, particularly with something like the NFL. I remember hearing that from the Peacock, from Peacock Rick Cordella, talking about the advertising opportunity. I mean, that's what makes the NFL such a valuable proposition is the advertising integration you can have in between plays. Um, so if they can bring that advertising side to life, plus a unique subscription model that's more aligned with what fans actually want than um, being forced to subscribe to a whole season actually I want to follow the Bengals. Not that I do, but I know you would. Uh, you probably want to watch other games, but at least you have the optionality to go, okay, I just want to follow this one team because I bloody love that team. That's all I'm going to sign up for. So I hope that does play out. Uh, and the other bit finally is um, uh, obviously Blake talked about the Skydance uh, relationship. And I think for me, the way he talked about it and let's say sold it uh, for one of a better description is, you know, you think about what Box to Box has done with Drive to Survive. That sounds like that's the bar, the bar they've, they've set is they want to be or create this NFL media business and, and um, production house, I suppose, of the documentary, non-live content that really takes the NFL to a whole new level of audiences internationally and just changes the game for them outside of their core markets where they – Let's face it, the NFL is a challenger brand in so many so many markets, right? So, um, yeah, I think th th those two respective deals are massive in a lot of ways for the NFL, even if they're not necessarily as financially massive as some of the other ones. They have a huge, um, like, shape a possibility to really shape the future of what the NFL looks like and and how it engages with fans in the modern era. Absolutely. And we hear all about that in the, the two sets of interviews we have coming up. So they are back to back. Um, so one one is finished. The next one's going to start. So like I said, hopefully over the next 50 minutes or so, you're going to become an expert on everything that has to do with the NFL and Sunday NFL ticket. And I'm going to steal Nick's quote, which is it's time for me to hand over to me. Thanks, everybody. All right, so uh, I'm a Bengals fan. Uh, Blake is a Bills fan, so I'm going to play the role of Joe Burrow trying to distribute the rock. Uh, you can be Stephon Diggs getting open, scoring touchdowns, and we're going to you know, have a really great session. Restructuring his contract as well to continue to make the team competitive. Feeling uh, good about next year. I feel good so long as he's there. Now, one of the things we've talked about over the last sort of day and a half is there's been a lot of talk about the sports side of business, and we will, sorry, the business side of sports, and we will talk about that. But I think what is maybe a good point, because I know there are some European people in the audience, maybe some people in the audience that aren't aware of this, just talking about the quality, because the question I get asked is why is the NFL just so much more different? in terms of the, the quality of the product that people are tuning into. And I think you've got some stats to maybe just kind of contextualize the actual product of the game itself. Yeah, let, let's talk about football. We're here at an OTT conference. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about media. We're going to talk about business models. But let's just talk about football for a second. Um, this past season that just concluded, a uh, couple things that stand out um, in what culminated in a truly uh, incredible Super Bowl, even if it was an outcome that for Chris and me both as fans was tougher than what we would have liked to have seen. But um, we just had a season that concluded with the lowest average margin of victory since 1932. That means every NFL game that was played on average was closer than any NFL game being played since 1932. 122 of the NFL's regular season games were decided by less than six points, less than one touchdown 
was the margin of victory. And my favorite of all those 85 of those games in the NFL season, just in the regular season, were decided by a change of uh, leader in the fourth quarter, which is to say the team that was losing came ahead and, and pulled out a fourth quarter come from behind victory this season. All of those are records. Now, that happens in part by luck, but it's luck that we'd like to think we're making by continuing to try to have a business model that is really effective. This comes from the fact that the way that we're set up, and for a lot of our friends in the audience who are coming maybe from overseas who may not be as familiar with our sport, this comes from the fact that we have the best competitive balance, we believe, of any sport in the world. We have a salary cap, every team is on completely equal playing field, and so every team, whether they are a big market or a small market, has an equal shot at every game, and we see that actually starting to play out in the results. And when we then look on the media side, we're coming off a season where 47 of the top 50 telecasts in the US were NFL games. And that is to us a testament to the fact that coupled with full stadiums and labor peace, players coming in and feeling really good about the way that this is all set up, um, we feel like we're in a really good spot heading into the future. Yeah, and this is the argument I've tried to make. I feel bad for Burnley Football Club. I always use them as the example that you know no one wants to watch Burnley play Sunderland, but you know, every NFL game, there's always something close to it. So I would love to just talk about football for a half hour, but we will, we will transfer over into the business end. Now, yesterday I had the opportunity to speak to, um, our friends over YouTube TV about their new upcoming partnership with you. That's kind of the more recent news, but maybe perhaps it'd be worth just giving the audience your perspective from the NFL side in terms of there's a lot of news. It seemed that there were rumors swirling around perhaps what ended up you know, YouTube TV being the partner that you wanted to come with on the Sunday NFL ticket package? We're really excited to have YouTube and YouTube TV as our partner for Sunday ticket, looking ahead for nearly the next decade to come. And, you know, you heard John talk about this a bit yesterday. Um, from our perspective, when we headed into this process to identify a partner, um, there were a couple things that we were thinking about. One, a model that we felt like has been really successful for a long time, which is taking the live out-of-market rights package, that's all of the games um, that are not being played in the local market, at the same time during that Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern and 4.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff, and making those available to as many fans as possible, but in a premium product, a product that historically has always been targeted toward our most avid fans. We wanted to be able to work with a partner that would make those games broadly available and that would continue to innovate on that. DirecTV was a great partner for three decades. They did a lot of innovation for many of those years. And then in more recent years, it's no secret that they've spent less time investing into that. But again, consider DirecTV's partnership brought us Red Zone. It brought us Game Mix. It brought us a lot of things, some of the fantasy innovations that we now take for granted and are really excited about. What YouTube presented, and many others were there. Marie came on earlier this morning. We talked about the, the partnership with Amazon. We'll talk more about that, um, I'm sure, in a bit because our, our relationship with Amazon and TNF has never been better. We're so excited about what's to come there. But what YouTube brought to us was a vision for how to make this that much more accessible, to continue to innovate, especially with things like creators that I'm sure we'll talk more about, to be bringing new fans into this funnel, um, and ultimately to really make the games um, something that can shine on their platform. And for us, we've had a lot of success with YouTube over the years. 
what we were most excited about with this was that it's a really logical and next step forward. It brings all of our broadcast partners along in a way that they're excited about, and it's going to make this so much more compelling for our fans. Well, you touched on, you know, Amazon and what they're doing on Thursday Night Football, but you obviously have different deals with a number of different broadcasters. You mentioned the YouTube TV fits really for that avid sports fan. So when you think about all the different deals that you have in place, whether that's linear, whether it's streaming, is that really kind of what the YouTube uh, proposition really is for for more of those hardcore fans? Or, you know, what's the general sense of how this specific deal fits into all the other ones that you have? Yeah, Sunday Ticket's always been an avid fan product. And I think that's going to continue. The volume of avid fans we have is something that we hope to continue to expand and adopt. And we'll talk about later, I'm sure, how we think about reaching next generation fans and some of the people who are just discovering our sport. But Sunday Ticket, given the fact that it's a premium price product, it's a subscription product, that's always going to be catered toward a set of fans that are um, already very eager to consume our product. And we want to make that you know broadly accessible. I think the other thing that we didn't talk about with the relationship we have with YouTube, John touched on this a little bit yesterday, I'll share it from an NFL perspective, is that this is not an overnight success. This is a partnership that has been in the works and building really for seven and a half years. We started with YouTube with a very small kind of humble launch of a channel, just like so many others do on YouTube, just like my eight-year-old, frankly, is doing making soccer videos and putting them up on YouTube. Um, but we started with clips and highlights. We built that out coming into the very end of the 2014 season. Over time and with the success we were having with YouTube there, we expanded that partnership first to bring original shows onto the YouTube platform. We had NFL Films exclusive shows on YouTube, which was a first four years ago. Um, we have a show called Game Day All Access. John mentioned it yesterday. I'll put a plug in for it as well because uh, the NFL Films team does an incredible job with this. I think it holds up as well as any access-driven show that's out there. It's a mic'd up player show. That show's won the Sports Emmy the last two years in a row. It goes head to head with every documentary out there. Um, and I think it does an incredible job of bringing you closer to what's actually happening inside of the huddle, on the sidelines and in the games, everything we do. That was the second generation of our YouTube partnership, going from clips and highlights into original programming. Then from there, we graduated, uh, you could say, to as YouTube TV is expanding, bringing on NFL Network and Red Zone coverage. And so we've got our cable channels now distributed. Finally, this culminates having had success along the way with every one of these parts of the YouTube relationship to then YouTube saying, hey, we're ready to take this much bigger leap and continue to build on what we're doing together and come on board for Sunday Ticket. And that's what we're spending a lot of time trying to build out as we look ahead to next season. So you mentioned a few things around social media, a couple things around uh, original content. I'm going to park those because I do just want to hang a little bit more streaming stuff before we move to that. You guys also launched NFL Plus this year as your owned and operated platform. So again, just showing this continued commitment to streaming, it, perhaps maybe just give us a, a, a rough idea of how the performance was for NFL Plus was this year um, and maybe how that fits in with some of the other streaming propositions like YouTube TV's new Sunday NFL ticket packages. Just maybe give a, a review one year in on that. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We, we launched NFL Plus, which is a direct-to-consumer offering from the NFL, a first-of-its-kind for us, uh, ahead of last season. Um, that offering has a couple of things, but the main offering is that it's a U.S.-centric, mobile and tablet-focused product. It has live games in your local market, as well as all of the national games, so Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night, and so on, on mobile and tablet specifically um, for U.S. subscribers. 
It also has some of the NFL Films archive. It's got some additional stats and a whole range of things that we're looking to build out in the future. For a first year, and recognizing as well that we're always thinking about our live games, the owned and operated assets that we have, and a partner ecosystem being as robust and healthy as possible, we feel really good about what it's been. It's obviously not the same type of streaming service as some of what our friends are doing that are now carrying a whole broad range of multi-sport products, um, or even some of the other leagues that might be carrying all of their live games cross-platform. This is based on the rights we have today, what we think is the best model for us, um, and at the same time, giving us something that gives us another touch point with our fans. This is also a mostly avid fan-centric product, um, but especially as we look ahead to season two, both in the off-season right now and next year, you're gonna see us doing a lot more with content and even some new product experiences that we're really excited about building out there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask Ashley, there's a infographic we'll hopefully get here pulled up. But one of the things we talked about, here we go. It's got perfect for us. Everyone loves a good infographic. There we go. Um, you know, you mentioned this to me in advance, like we think of the Super Bowl as the, the biggest day on TV in the year, but actually there's some statistics. It's also the biggest day of the year on the internet. So maybe this is just an open floor for you to talk about, you know, we're, we've, we're sitting here talking about streaming, but that's just one part of the NFL package. You guys, even though the live content's maybe where it starts, there's so much more that goes beyond that. So maybe it's just an open platform if you've got specific statistics in there that you want to talk about or just your commitment to what you guys are doing on social media. Yeah, thank thank you for the plug. Um, but no, we're, we're really excited about this. And I, I think in many ways, it's it's a testament to the, the health and strength of the game um, and the success of all of our partners. So I know this could be a little tough to read. I'll, I'll pick a couple of these just to highlight. We just put this out earlier this week. So if you haven't seen it yet, this actually just hit on Monday, um, just starting to gain traction. When we were heading into Super Bowl this year, we recognized at the simplest level, the Super Bowl, especially on U.S. television, has long been the single most popular, most dominant property on television. Um, it has made Super Bowl Sunday the biggest day on TV for basically seven decades. Um, we realized that uh, we think there's a story that can be told about the fact that the Super Bowl is now also the biggest day of the year on the Internet. And so we looked at this a couple different ways. This is in full collaboration with all of our partners. Um, that number at the top that you see there, that's 6.4 billion. That's tweet impressions in one day. Let me just be clear again. 6.4 billion impressions on Twitter in a single day around a single event. That's nearly an impression per human that's addressable on Twitter. A couple other things that are just worth pointing out. We talk a lot about advertising. We've talked about YouTube being such a huge part of our partnership. We have a lot of really interesting stats about Rihanna and the Super Bowl halftime show, game recaps and highlights. We've done a lot there, but we thought just to do something a little bit different, we actually pulled out an advertising-centric stat because we all know that, especially in streaming services, it's challenging when we're talking about you know, is it, are, are people willing to watch ads? Are they willing to tolerate a, a large ad load? I think this stat is, is just remarkable. 751 million times people watched Super Bowl ad blitz, which is just the ads. If you ask the question of are people willing to tolerate advertising inside of a streaming environment, look no further than the fact that we have three quarters of a billion people who've chosen proactively to watch ads just because it's built around a certain kind of environment. That, by the way, is the greatest case study I can point out to, to quality creative built around a sporting event as anything. 
Um, a, a whole host of others there. TikTok is another one that comes to mind. We've been um, focused with them on driving a whole host of innovation over the last several years. We have a, a tailgate concert called TikTok Tailgate that leads directly into the Super Bowl. It's something that is just exclusively on site at Super Bowl Sunday. Um, we took that concert and started globally live streaming that, leading right into the broadcast, culminating in the last two sh songs, actually appearing on the televised broadcast as well. For the last three years, we had Miley Cyrus three years ago, the Chainsmokers, and then this year, the Black Keys and Jason Derulo giving incredible performances with a completely different audience that is then necessarily going to be tuning in to watch the Super Bowl. You see a million and a half viewers watching that concurrently with basically just limited promotion right now just on TikTok, although that will grow in the future. But then also 4.6 billion video views on hashtag Super Bowl just on TikTok. Huge level of engagement going on at the same time. Last one to point out here, Snapchat hasn't been talked about as much here. We think they're a phenomenal partner. Um, so much of what we see in Snap over the years isn't just about the shows that we make. A lot of it is really about innovation and augmented reality and AR. And so you see that um, 2 billion number, 2 billion times on Super Bowl Sunday, people picked up their phone and played with AR in some way on Snapchat. What are they doing? They're putting a virtual helmet on. They're putting virtual eye black on. They're looking inside of a virtual stadium that we created. Or they're putting their head in a different um, filter or making their face look like they're a virtual puppy or sending you know screenshots to their friends um, talking about Super Bowl Sunday. And so for us, we think a lot of this, what's so interesting about it is we're trying to find all kinds of different ways to engage fans You've all heard it before, but it's right content, right audience, right platform. This to us is an example of both a lot of years of working together with all these platforms and really trying to lean into what works best in those environments um, to create this kind of full-scale blitz that gets us back to something like Super Bowl being the biggest day of the year on the internet. Those are some truly incredible numbers. Now, something I know you're really excited about to talk in this because I think a lot of people, and you would probably agree, Everyone gets caught up in some of the, the media rights deals, the numbers that are thrown around there. But you guys essentially now for the next 10 years are pretty much locked up. You've got the roadmap in front of you that you, you know what kind of financial support you're going to get from your different broadcasting partners. So what next? You know, we talk about we started the show yesterday in Europe. You know, they only do these on like three year cycles. So by the time you win it, you're already starting over again, that whole bidding process where now that you have that 10 year sort of clarity What's the NFL doing to innovate? What other areas are you looking to reinvest some of that money into the, the content machine that's the NFL? You know, it's a couple of things. One, we didn't talk as much about international right now. Obviously, it remains a huge opportunity for us. Kevin Mayer was here yesterday morning talking about the DAZN relationship uh, that we now have with, um, with what was our Game Pass product and that now being part of DAZN looking ahead for many years to come. That's really exciting because for all the success that we have in our home market, and we still think there's plenty of room to grow there, we also recognize that the international opportunity, one, is country by country, not simply a rest of world strategy, but two, um, that there's so much of it and you're seeing a lot of different things we're doing there. The other thing is, um, you know, as you noted, we have 10 years of visibility now with our live game rights fairly well in place, with the collective bargaining agreement in place, so we have labor peace. And for the most part, our games are generally sold out, which is a really high quality problem to have. 
most of our teams spend fairly little amounts of time thinking about ticket sales. Um, sponsorships and suites, sure, but especially as it relates to what makes this product work, it's a competitive game environment and people being in the stadium because that's why the media itself looks so good and our broadcast partners do such a great job of making that come to life. So what do we do from here? It's everything other than the live game to support it. Um, one example of that that came up actually from the 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 topic earlier today talking about some of the Netflix series that we're really excited about is what we're doing with Skydance. So um, about two years ago, we looked at NFL films and we have such a, a, a really incredible asset in NFL films. Again, for those who don't know, for 61 years, NFL films has been this production arm of the NFL. It is the most awarded uh, sports programming studio in the world by Emmy wins, by any other sort of accolade. They really are tremendous at what they do. They also, to their credit, recognize that most of what they do is documentaries and access-driven shows, primarily about the NFL. It's a really specific type of storytelling. We looked across the broader entertainment landscape. Here we are at a streaming conference, not just for sports, but thinking about the growth in streamers, saying that the media strategy that we've had for decades that served us really well, which is putting our content on the most dominant reach platforms of the day, historically broadcast TV and pay TV, that still works. We feel really good about that, but no doubt it's evolving and it's changing and there's more choice than ever before. How do we make sure that we can have content and have things that resonate with people when they're opening up Apple TV+, Plus, when they're opening up Amazon Prime, when they're opening up Netflix. Well, the first is our live games and we feel pretty good about where we've landed there. But what about every other second of the day? That's where the partnership with Skydance comes in. Um, what we sought to do was find a partner that had capabilities in all the areas that we really don't. Things like scripted programming, something that NFL Films does not do at all, but that we really value. Other types of unscripted programming like cooking shows, travel shows, fitness, all kinds of other things that we can do, animated kids shows. Um, Skydance does all of that. For clarity, Skydance is the Hollywood studio behind Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible. They're also one of the largest suppliers uh, as an independent to the streamers. And independent was important to us because as we thought about the different ways that we could work with this, there are many streaming services, many of whom are our partners like Disney, like Amazon, of course, that are looking for content for their own services. We want it to be broad, we want it to be everywhere. So it was important that we work with an independent that's looking to supply everyone. Um, so we announced that partnership with Skydance back in November. It was a culmination of a couple of years of a process. Um, and we're really excited about what it is because that's something that is just starting to lay the foundation now of a new company that we are standing up. It's a joint venture between Skydance and the NFL, and you will see a lot more content to come. And just one last point on this, I know it's a bit of a ramble, but it, it's, it's something we're really excited about here. Um, there is an opportunity here that we think is not just limited to the NFL. So what you will expect to see from this partnership in the future is multi-sport, so not just football, but global football, tennis, golf, basketball, baseball, everything you can think of. Apparently everybody tells me that pickleball is exploding, so we're looking forward to doing something there too. But multi-sport, multi-genre, scripted, unscripted, and so on, and global. And around that, the goal ultimately is this new company will be the destination for a sports storytelling studio that any athlete, any brand, any distributor that wants to tell a story about sports will make this its first call. There's no other studio that has the ability to promote content with the power of the NFL's megaphone and all of the promotional reach that we have as well as the access and assets 
behind it, we think that's gonna give us a really good advantage. And look, it's a super competitive landscape. We know there'll be lots of others out there that all do great work. We hope they wanna work with us. So I'm gonna ask Blake one last question for myself and then we'll kind of open up to the floor. So if you do have questions, do try to get those in on Slido here in the next couple of minutes. Uh, You mentioned a little bit about uh, streamers and what you're doing on social media. I think it's an interesting thing that the NFL has done really well when you think about like the Manning cast or what you've been able to do with Nickelodeon, where it's essentially we're already distributing this game. But how many ways can we distribute the same game in a way that it attracts different audiences? And, you know, I've spoken to some people I think are really intelligent people and they've talked about that's the future, which is nothing about all the necessarily these different products. But how can we take the same thing? but serve it many different ways. I think the, Nick, correct me if I've got this wrong. It was uh, your interview with Foxtel where it was one restaurant, uh, many dishes or something like that. But basically you're cooking everything in the same place, but you're serving it or it's one kitchen, many restaurants, I think was the answer, but like you're cooking all the content there, but you're just distributing it all the way around there. You know what, how are you guys thinking about things like the Manning cash, what you're doing with Nickelodeon, if there's any further expansion with that or even streamers and what you're doing with YouTube TV? So Chris, I don't have a ghost kitchens metaphor ready for you, um, but I will work on that yeah. for the future. Um, we'll, we'll just stick with talking about yeah. sports on this one. Um, look, I, I think it's, it's been, I've been here for the last two days. It's been exciting hearing about all the different forms of alternate telecast and broadcast innovations that I'm hearing across the sports landscape because we don't have to do these things alone. We will gladly borrow from some of the best ideas that we've seen. You've heard us talk about some of the alternate telecasts for a number of years now. I think about those on a spectrum. Um, Take what Marie was talking about earlier today. On the one end, with Thursday Night Football for a number of years, we've had alternate telecasts that focus on everything from uh, those on the, um, you know, on the stats and and gaming and even sports betting side that are looking at next-gen stats and other kinds of uh, you know, other kinds of AWS powered statistics to have a very data centric form um, of, of a live game, as well as the Mannings doing what is a pretty avid fan, but also general entertainment type of broadcast. Then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have what we've done with Paramount and Nickelodeon for the last several years, which actually, I watched that Big City Greens NHL broadcast last night. I thought it was terrific. It's another good example of things that you know we're, we're all learning from, which is a completely different telecast. Our Nickelodeon example is one where, as we're working with... Um, with Nick, they they broadcast the game, um, bringing in all the Nickelodeon characters, um, players that score touchdowns get slimed in an AR effect in real time. You've got SpongeBob and and um, young Sheldon explaining some of the rules of the game. There's a whole host of things like that. And then, oh, by the way, in the middle, we have things like what we do with Twitch with co-streamers, where we're bringing the likes of Tim the Tapman and Gold Glove and Ninja who have massive audiences themselves, whether in esports or gaming or or just other reasons that they've built fandom and community, not trying to do their own impression of Michaels and Herb Street, but instead just inviting an audience in to watch the game with them because they are fans. Ninja was, until very recently, the single most popular streamer on Twitch. He is also from Michigan and a massive Detroit Lions fan. And if you get him talking about what he does in his free time, he's following the Lions. That's the type of stuff that we're excited to bring out. So we'll we'll jump into some of the questions here. Um, how does the NFL see social media as an aid or hindrance to fan engagement, especially amongst younger viewers where live sports viewership may not be as high? We talked about it earlier. It's a critical part of reaching our fans exactly where they are. We, we want to be anywhere where our fans spend their time. That's actually not new. That's been our strategy for a long time. We feel like it's worked really well for us. 
We have some unique characteristics about our sport also. We only play once a week. We have the shortest season. Our players wear helmets. So when we think about the opportunities in social media, for us, it's about not only making things like clips and highlights available, not only using tune-in messaging to tell people that they can watch the game, but also exposing people to all kinds of parts of the game that they wouldn't otherwise get to see, especially leaning into what we do with the clubs, with the players themselves, and giving them a chance to actually express themselves. Um, my colleague Josh Tucker was uh, downstairs in the auditorium yesterday, gave a great presentation um, with they all from the team at Video Sites about some of the ways that they're building out this audience. One example of that, we now work directly with hundreds of NFL players providing content to them every single week, providing assets to them. The only requirement is take it if you would like. The more that you grow your own brand, we know that it's gonna help people ultimately know that the way that they can see you is that you play on Sundays. And we feel like if we do that well, that's a, that's a value exchange that the players generally appreciate. Not everybody will wanna work with us, um, but many do. Um, and as they do that, it's been a, a really good way to continue to grow an audience base. So the next question I want to ask, and I'm, I'm interested because I actually hear this come up in a lot of conversations I have, um, beyond direct sold sponsorships, what role does digital advertising play in the NFL's growth prospects? Because one of the things I find interesting about this is there's a football club, Burnley, who I, who I did not give great uh, appreciation for, but they actually had a, a recent transfer announcement that went absolutely viral on TikTok because it was just it was such great content. And I asked, how does that impact your ability for your sponsorship team to do business because of the success of the digital side? So I'd just be curious to know how, you know, those two, you're working with the di within the digital side of things, how that impacts the commercial team sponsorship, or in this case, sort of the ad revenue? Sure. Look, I, I think, you know, Marie talked about a little bit earlier today that Amazon, for example, has had a tremendous advertising business for a number of years. It's largely performance-based. When you think about the power of sports, particularly premium sports, it's really all about one, having premium assets and being able to bring them into market, and two, being able to bundle those alongside other types of assets. Our broadcast partners have had decades of success by being able to take a tentpole like NFL games, of which there's about 16.1 million people in the US alone who watch every single NFL game every week just on broadcast TV. Being able to take that as an asset and say, in addition to buying this, you are able to buy a whole host of other programs uh, that, that sort of unlocks it together. With digital, you're able to layer in targeting on top of that. So imagine being able to do all those things, having those premium crown jewel assets that get people saying not just that I bought males 18 to 24 or people who expressed intent to buy a car, which works really well, but is kind of unromantic and then put that together with the ability to say, I bought the NFL. Hey, big brand, especially at the agency level, when you think about the sort of like, please don't fire me slide that you take to a CMO at the end of the year saying, here's all the things that we did with your media spend. The one thing that tends to work really well is when they're able to say, along with all the other types of impressions we delivered, here is this massive, specific, bespoke program that we built out um, around a crown jewel like the NFL that then, oh, by the way, layered in targeting that is more robust and more sophisticated than we've ever seen. All right. I'm going to apologize to everybody because my CEO has said he's got a question. And as uh, he's the one that uh, keeps the lights on in my house, so I'm going to have to pass the mic over to Nick for the last question. Yeah, I had to get your attention somehow. Sorry about that. Um, just very quickly, because I know we are at, at sort of at the end of time here. But um, you talked about the big deal with Skydance that you guys have put in place. You've got these 
long-term partnerships in place, now internationally with the DAZN deal. How are you going to leverage that that content juggernaut you're creating with Skydance? Because that the Game Pass uh, games are now going to be sitting within the DAZN ecosystem. You won't have that direct-to-consumer re- relationship in the same way anymore. Uh, and in some markets where DAZN isn't prominent, they're going to be f- the best way to, they'll be found is through Prime Prime Video through that distribution relationship. So. How, how else are you going to be looking to, to bring that content to life in those international markets, given you said global is so important? Yeah, the it builds on the Skydance relationship. It builds on social media. It builds on everything we've, we've been doing and we'll do that much more, which is uh, when we think about this Skydance relationship, the opportunity here is not only to make shows that are global in the sense of being on one platform and available for everyone. It's actually much more about making things that are local language and specific to a territory. So, for example, one thing that came up a lot was our growth in Germany. We're playing live games in Germany now. We just had our first one this past season. And oh, by the way, the only thing I've ever learned about customer acquisition strategy is if you want to stand up a new model in sports, go send Tom Brady over there to do something live. It tends to help. Uh, I wish we could do that next year. doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But so when we launched in Germany, playing our first ever regular season game there, there's a fan base of people who are already interested, and we're trying to grow that in a big way. We have the live games to do that. What else can we do to support it? What other ways can we drive awareness? Well, for one thing, we have 700 million people that we reach across social media. Everything that you saw earlier, all those different channels, we're going to do that again, not with a one-size-fits-all approach, but by being really specific on every platform. What is the Reddit community most interested in? What are the TikTokers looking to latch onto as a viral theme? And how can we do something with creators who are locally in those spaces to grow? Where Skydance comes in that we're so excited about is that this is going to give us a whole nother avenue to hopefully build interest and do storytelling specific to that market um, that will reach people probably culminating in things like that game each year. Um, So we don't know yet because we haven't made those shows. Um, And that's really what's so excited. But I say shows plural because we know that what we could have done is make a show. And in fact, we have, as was mentioned earlier, a show called Quarterback coming out on Netflix this summer, which is going to be fantastic. They followed five different NFL quarterbacks all season long. We have never seen this kind of access before. But I say shows plural because we hope that three, four, five years from now, as this really gets going, There'll be theatrically released movies that are targeted at specific areas in this. There'll be animated kids shows focused on reaching my eight and six-year-old or the equivalent of them in Germany or in any local language and local market. There'll be cooking shows, travel shows, game shows, and a whole host of other things. If it's related to sports in some way, if we can find an audience that might find it relevant, that's Drive to Survive times 500 if, if it works right. We know that there's plenty of execution risk in it, but that's what we're so excited about. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us, Blake. It's always great to talk NFL and football. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to all that content. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, everybody. So I will say, just to start off with, I am happy after being called out uh, at the start of the day for being clearly the community lead wearing Nikes. I'm joined by somebody else that also has a smart sense of fashion. I thank you for the compliment. So we 
basically, I mentioned earlier, I'm the Yank that is based in London. So anytime anything NFL is related, it gets thrown to me. But that's good news because I love talking about the NFL. Um, not to give him a second shout out, but Blake is a Bills fan. And him and I tomorrow are going to talk about the conspiracy theory um, that the NFL is scripted. And that's why the Bengals nor the Bills won the Super Bowl this year. So I'm always happy to talk about the NFL. It's, it's big if true. <laughs> Very big if true. So just to start off with things, obviously, you know, the, the title of the session is talking about YouTube and the NFL Sunday ticket, but the relationship that you guys have with the NFL actually goes back much longer than that. So maybe just kind of to start off with, give us a bit of the history of the partnerships and the work that you guys have done with the NFL prior to this. Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. Uh, you know, YouTube and YouTube TV have long, have uh, long-standing successful relationships and partnerships with the NFL across the board. So Blake and I were just talking about this uh, in the hall. We actually la they launched the channel in 2015, right in time for Super Bowl 49. Highlights were really the core offering. We wanted to make sure, and this is true not only for the NFL, but for with all the rights holders that we work with, we want to make sure that a fan can find highlights from last night as easily as he can find highlights from last year. So we really kind of spent the first few years of the partnership honing our highlights offering. And once we found a good operating rhythm there and found, you know, scale and success, both from a user standpoint and an advertiser standpoint, we expanded to original programming. There's a series that we've worked on, a slate of original shows we work on with the NFL. NFL Game Day All Access on YouTube is uh, the flagship and has actually won two sports Emmys. Uh, you know, kind of hat tip to Blake and team at the NFL for making that happen. And uh, in a so they've done kind of expanded to storytelling. The NFL clubs actually do a ton of storytelling on our platform. You know, you get to follow them, you know, follow your favorite club through the off season. They do a really good job of telling stories and highlighting their players in kind of innovative and creative ways during the season. So they've, you know, become a meaningful contributor to that ecosystem. The NFL has really leaned into shorts, which is our vertical video product, um, which I'll talk about in a second. So, you know, when you take all those things together and kind of go from 2015 to where we are today, on the NFL's channel, you know, they have over 11 million subscribers on their main channel. Blake and team have actually launched 10 other channels uh, to as a complement to the programming on the NFL main channel. And they were driving billions of views per year. Like having that, that is really the foundation upon kind of everything else that, you know, uh, is coming and, uh, and and that we will do on a go forward basis. And then on YouTube TV, we've been distributing NFL Network and Red Zone to our subscribers for some time. And, you know, kind of similar to the broader television ecosystem, um, NFL games drive an outsized, you know, share of viewership via our broadcast partners at CBS, NBC, ESPN, et cetera. So, you know, I think all of those pieces as a singular composite really kind of drove confidence and, and really provided us with the flexibility to pursue a package like Sunday Ticket. Yeah. So basically the point is this is not something that just magically appeared out of nowhere. This is something that's, you know, taken time to get here. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that and kind of almost to be intentionally redundant, I think there's this kind of working or this assumption that, okay, we now have Sunday ticket, we're going to build an NFL partnership, a broader NFL partnership on top of that. And I actually think it's the reverse. It's all of the years we've invested to get to this place has allowed us to kind of put and kind of prop up Sunday ticket as opposed to the, as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. So you've mentioned you've had this existing relationship with the NFL. You're doing a bunch of different things from highlights to original content, now moving into shorts, um, all these different things. How did that conversation begin to change when we started talking about the NFL Sunday ticket? You've already got these existing relationships, but this is something um, on a slightly different level, you know, maybe just talking a little bit how that, you know, came about or how that progressed. 
Sure. So, you know, we talked to, and I know many of them are in the, in the room today, talk to our partners about initiatives kind of, you know, broad and narrow all the time. Um, I think that, you know, the key is figuring out just from a first principle standpoint, are we aligned on our vision of the future in a certain area? Or are we aligned on what we're looking to collectively accomplish? Sometimes it comes together faster, sometimes it doesn't. And then kind of, you know, advancing from that, then it becomes, you know, once you're aligned on the broader principle, then it just becomes a trade-off and, and compromise exercise to kind of, you know, figure out, you know, whether it's an, you know, a new original show we want to do with the NFL or something as broad as Sunday Ticket. I think with Sunday Ticket in particular, the kind of not necessarily challenge, but the exercise was largely rooted in a couple of things. One, obviously the incumbent had has had that property on its platform for, you know, since its existence. So I think both fans, the league, everybody, you know, the media had a very kind of um, specific understanding of what Sunday Ticket looked like. With at YouTube, we're actually going to have Sunday Ticket available on YouTube TV and also on YouTube primetime channels. But when we kicked off the Sunday Ticket discussions, primetime channels hadn't even launched. So we just launched that product in Q4 in the US and there'll be a fast follow internationally. So I think a lot of the conversation was making sure it was kind of the time we spent uh, was largely in ensuring that we had the right kind of shared understanding of what the optimal fan experience would be, how, you know, Sunday ticket retains, pre, you know, a premium price point, premium position, and also how it's additive to the, you know, national games and, you know, the, uh, the broadcast partnerships that the NFL has in place. So, you know, uh, as I, as I've, I kind of, the kind of just metaphor I've used, it's, uh, was a 15 play drive, uh, you know, no completions over 12 yards, but we, but we broke the plane. You know, as a as an American football coach in the UK, I would love to have those sorts of consistent drives. You know, I try to tell my offensive players all the time, you know, big plays are flashy, but, you know, the best teams are the ones that are able to convert first downs on third and short. Sorry, we're getting really sort you got of... You've got to move the chains. Move gotcha. the chains and control the clock. Yeah, as, as I like to say, you'll never go broke taking a profit. That's, what, that's my <laughs> go-to expression. Um, in terms of... So, how obviously the, the NFL has lots of broadcast partners in terms of this specific package, what were you guys selling to them or using, you know, your brand and what you can make capable to them to sort of get this deal across the line? Sort of what, what's your USP? Yeah. So I think that, uh, I, I think it's less of a kind of sales issue per se. I think the first thing we had to look at is, you know, does this or doesn't make sense for the user, uh, given the, our users, both across kind of the YouTube main app and YouTube TV, they love sports. As I, you know, kind of rattled off a bunch of numbers as it relates to the NFL, but we have hundreds of millions of users who come to YouTube every day to watch sports content. So we knew that behavior was there. Similarly, as I mentioned, we have, we know there's strong viewership um, and interest in NFL content across YouTube TV. So really we started with the, with the user and said like, does this make sense for the, for the users on our platform? We thought that answer was a resounding yes. And given the popularity and success that the NFL specifically has had on our platform, we were really excited about, about kind of bringing together what we felt was the most comprehensive NFL offering, both from a live game standpoint and a VOD standpoint available. So when you look at kind of that user value proposition, I think that piece really excited us. And then I, the secondary piece I would add is, you know, our connected TV business remains a top priority. So we, you know, today have roughly 700 million hours of content, and this is not YouTube TV. This is just kind of, you know, standard YouTube VOD content that is viewed on connected TVs. Um, you know, YouTube TV as a subscription service in the U.S. has 5 million plus subscribers. So we've made good headway there, but there's still a lot for us to do. So much of consumption in the living room and on connected TV happens off of YouTube. So 
you know, we understand that we need to accelerate efforts there. And, um, and obviously with having both the YouTube TV business and bringing uh, primetime channels onto the main app, we felt that Sunday Ticket could be a really helpful anchor tenant. And, you know, in and of itself doesn't solve all consumption issues, but we felt it was something that we could, you know, th- that we could build around and that we can make successful and kind of broaden the tent for. So I think those two pieces, I would say, were the key drivers. One is, does this make sense for the user? That box was checked. And then, you know, how does this play into kind of YouTube's broader, you know, aspirations across ads and subscription? Yeah. So I th- just something I forgot to mention. I was just looking over my, my colleague, Steve, and just a reminder, because he's so, so much better as a moderator than I am still working on it is if you do have any questions, you can go on to Slido. Um, at the end of the session, I'll bring those up to John. So if there is anything we don't cover that you want to hear more about, um, please do engage and interact with that. Um, so the end of that second question, you started to touch on it a little bit. Um, you sort of talked about sort of the evolution of that. But in terms of the YouTube strategy, how did you guys determine that this was something that you guys wanted to pursue in terms of the the larger business model? Because obviously this will just be one piece of the many things that you're doing in sports. Yeah. So, you know, kind of going back to some of the things I hit on at the top, We've spent a very long time building a very strong kind of ad supported business on the YouTube main app. Um, you know, I think, you know, many of our partners, you know, who are in the room today monetize their content at, at pretty healthy CPMs. We recently launched shorts monetization to allow for, allow for monetization of vertical video. It's, you know, in a nascent state, we're really excited about it. And obviously YouTube TV is, has been our subscription service. And the reason why I provide this context is one of the things that Sunday Ticket provides that I think really excited us is the opportunity to uh, monetize in a number of ways. I think, you know, not breaking any news for folks in the room today, most live sports offerings are supported via a mix of subscription and ads. And it's, you know, can be a challenge to make uh, any li- any premium property work on a single revenue stream. So when you look at a Sunday ticket, you look at kind of YouTube's broader aspirations and priorities, and you look at kind of the revenue diversity that comes from subscription and ads. And I think, you know, we even have broader aspirations as we think about commerce and other ways to monetize. It felt like there were enough pieces there um, for us to really kind of, you know, wrap our arms around. So in terms of, you know, not to, it's, I feel like it's an overused um, analogy, but talking about like the funnel per se, when you think about Sunday ticket, and again, we talk about the NFL, it's just one part of it. Do you look at it in terms of bringing people in because there's all this other content on YouTube TV versus how you're going to address that and add value through YouTube? You know, how does that necessarily fit that part of the strategy? Yeah, I think the, the you know, as we think about, you know, obviously YouTube TV has a, a strong subscriber base already. But I think, you know, the one the expectation is that either, you know, that fans will come over, right? I'm a, you know, Dallas Cowboys fan living in San Francisco. Sunday tickets, uh, I know you're a Bengals fan. Uh, Sunday tickets are non-negotiable for me. So I needed it in order to watch Cowboys games. We expect those folks to come over, but we did want to ensure that they had choice. And what I mean by that is, you know, our hope and our expectation is that many fans will want both the YouTube TV base package so they can watch Monday Night Football on ESPN and, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon games on Fox and CBS, et cetera. They'll want that plus Sunday ticket. Like, I think we'll, we'll see a decent cohort that exhibits that behavior. But if you have a fan who isn't ready to kind of make the full jump over to YouTube or, you know, maybe, you know, they like the double play they're getting from, you know, their, their current provider. We're fine with that. And we've created a, you know, a primetime channels offering that will allow those types of fans who have their, you know, who get their base package from another party um, to be able to, uh, to be able to subscribe via primetime channels. So I think as we think about this strategically, like there is incremental value from those, you know, subscribers coming over into the YouTube TV ecosystem. And obviously as we look to really accelerate 
accelerate and help primetime channels grow, we couldn't think of uh, you know a more attractive property to you know to partner with on that. Yeah, well, that quite nicely leads into the next question or next set of questions where I'm kind of saying, let's look at this from the fan perspective. Um, and one of those was kind of through the YouTube platform, you know, the different ways fans can access content. Um, so you're talking about the subscription model, you're talking about the primetime channels. I'm actually not overly familiar with those, but maybe just perhaps talk about is that fan going on, sort of what that experience is, what they have to go through to, to access that content. Yeah, so with, I mean, Kind of, it, kind of in line with in line with the kind of choice concept that I was hitting on. I think it's really important for us to meet the fan where they are. We want to be device agnostic. You know, part of the promise of YouTube is that you open the app and it just works. So all of that is all as table stakes. But from an option standpoint, to kind of go at, kind of go a level deeper and be a bit tactical, a, a fan who is an existing YouTube TV subscriber will have the opportunity to add Sunday Ticket on to their uh, to their subscription package within the YouTube TV ecosystem and can view the and can view games Sunday Ticket games, the regionalized games or out of market games, I should say, in the same way that they would view national games or, or in market games. So I think that is you know most of most users will be. Uh, who at least have trialed YouTube TV will be familiar with that experience. And then I think what we're really excited about is as you talk about bringing over paid content services like Sunday Ticket, NBA League Pass, et cetera, to the YouTube main app, we really feel like that opens up you know, the tent and allows more people who are, you know, maybe used to using YouTube as their main viewing app, providing them with the opportunity to come in and subscribe. So we'll have storefronts. Uh, we'll have storefronts in both places. Sunday ticket will be kind of woven in, if you will, to the NFL's existing channel. So the, it'll, it should be, it should be relatively easy to find in that way. And then obviously this is, YouTube, you know, YouTube uh, is the second largest search engine behind Google. Sunday Ticket will be prominently featured in search. So I think, you know, we should have our bases covered there. And the thing that I'm really excited about are is the opportunity to tap into personalized recommendations. So today, most sports programmers on YouTube actually drive a lion's share of their consumption via personalized recommendations on platform. So, you know, when you, you know, for those of you who are YouTube TV subscribers in the room, you know, this is true for me. I'm hoping it's true for you. When you open the app, the top picks, those first three tiles should do a pretty good job of kind of matching you with the content that makes most sense for you. So when you bring a pro, when you weave a product like Sunday Ticket in there, we think we can drive more consumption, more retention and more interest by kind of tapping into those, you know, existing levers. So I think that's, that's an example of something that's very, you know, core to YouTube that we're excited to apply to Sunday Ticket. You know, in, in terms of kind of newer avenues and ideas, you know, as I mentioned, there are, you know, there are billions of NFL, you know, related views happening on YouTube at, at any time during the year. And we are kind of building functionality to allow a fan who is watching a highlight to maybe, you know, jump into a Sunday ticket trial or to maybe jump into a YouTube TV trial. We want to make that kind of um, kind of pathway very easy and clear. I talked a little bit about shorts. We're looking at different ways to leverage shorts as a driver of trial and discovery for Sunday tickets. So we really, you know, it's. It, like we are, we are very happy to work with our partners at CBS and Fox. I think they're going to do an amazing job of producing games and providing feeds. But as we think about where we're, you know, how we add value, we, it's it's really in ensuring that the viewing experience and discovery really feels like YouTube, as opposed to kind of you know having Sunday Ticket be a tack on that lives on the side or as a de or as a separate dedicated app. Yeah. We've got someone from the Sports Pro Corners. Maybe we can uh, get the microphone working. We've got a question from our technology editor, Steve McCaskill. I'm always looking at you, Chris. Um, inspired by a question I've seen on, on, on Slido, obviously as you build out this ecosystem of ad-supported and subscription-based services, 
how transferable is that framework to other sports and maybe other geographies? Obviously, the, the NFL and a lot of the challenges you're addressing are US specific, but is it scalable? Uh, short answer is yes. So we started, we launched primetime channels last year. Well, let me take a step back. YouTube TV is a domestic US product. I expect it to stay that way, at least for the foreseeable future. So I think let's you know put that to, to the side for a second. But as we think about live sports monetization opportunities more broadly, all of that should scale. So our primetime channels platform, which Sunday Ticket will kind of sit on top of, is going to be made available in five or six additional markets, international markets this year, and a fast follow with a broader push uh, beginning in 2024. So that ecosystem should be more than scalable. Our live dynamic ad insertion product, the ability to put you know ad pods within a YouTube live stream, that's beginning to scale and roll out to you know a number of geographies, and a number of folks will be able to tap into that. We have a pay-per-view product that's in an early beta right now. So I think for us, you know, we the kind of goal has been, and again, I'll be intentionally redundant here, to build that daily kind of behavior and relationship with fans. So they come back to YouTube, you know, for highlights, for, you know, their favorite sports content. And then as for rights holders, we want to provide options. So if you want to monetize through a mix of ads and subscription, you can. If you prefer, you know, more reach and you want to, you know, you want to just have a purely ad sport experience, you can. If you have a massive tent pole but not, you know, a kind of full slate of programming, you can tap into pay-per-view. So we're I think where YouTube has kind of provided the most value is by building the tooling and the platform. And then, you know, our partners, many of whom are in this room, are going to be much smarter about the right way to monetize and the right way to kind of, you know, engage with their fan bases. Excellent. So one of the words that will come up across this event over the next two days will be discoverability and fragmentation, just one of the, the difficulties and sort of the, the ecosystem that we live in. For YouTube, and you talked a little bit about it, kind of being able to leverage Google and whatnot, how does YouTube um, and YouTube TV, particularly looking at the Sunday NFL ticket package, going to approach that those kind of two buzzwords that everyone kind of talks about? Yeah, I think there's, I kind of touched on it a little bit already, but I think we're, we're hoping, to, at least as it relates to the NFL, make that a lot easier, right? You'll be able to come with the combination of YouTube and YouTube TV, you know, Blake and, and team at the NFL have uploaded, you know, darn near 30,000 uh, VOD clips over the years to YouTube. So, you know, I would be utterly shocked if there was an NFL player topic, storyline, et cetera, that you were interested in that, you know, we didn't have content, you know, covering. So um, I think, A, there's there's a comprehensive kind of VOD offering. And then, you know, with YouTube TV, we have a, you know, relatively comprehensive slate of live NFL games, national and in-market. And then when you add Sunday Ticket, it brings all, you know, in, in, in my mind, it kind of brings all that together. And you have this broad content offering. And then as opposed to expecting the user to navigate, as, as opposed to expecting the user to have to kind of raise their hand and search for everything, the personalized recommendations that I hit on a little earlier, I think will make, you know, should make that easier. And then the last piece, and this isn't necessarily tied to fragmentation, but it is worth mentioning, you know, we are looking at this holistically. So we expect creators, you know, the really the lifeblood of YouTube to really come in and not only support Sunday Ticket, but really help us kind of message and introduce the property to new fans, right? The um, I think it's, you know, not every fan is going to be able to kind of, you know, take out a credit card and pay for the premium subscription price, but we want to make sure that young fans, you know, fans in different, you know, economic positions all have touch points that allow them to engage with the NFL and quite, and quite frankly, the broader ecosystem of sports content on YouTube. So it's really about for for us, it's bringing the content together and then, you know, really for me, getting out of the way and letting our, our talented engineering and product team figure out the right way to match users to content. Yeah, well, I would say anecdotally, you know, my parents are in their 60s. 
they have YouTube TV, they know how to use it, they know how to make it work. So if nothing else, you've at least, you know, hit that check mark. Cause I know sometimes, uh, you start getting over a certain age and, you know, technology gets a little scary. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take that W. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things I want to follow up on that you talked about, you know, the creators within YouTube, obviously YouTube shorts is offering a new monetization model for them. Um, but just the amount of, you know, streaming that takes place, you know, there are people that will, maybe not watch sports, but they'll follow that, that streamer. Um, you know, I think of someone like Ninja back in the day, I know he's a big Lions fan, but even to now, uh, you th have things like the Manning cast and how popular that is, you know, is that something you guys are going to lean into or is there a specific strategy about how you're looking to leverage those creators? Yeah. I, so I, the short answer is yes. So I think the first thing that I would call out is we're going to have an, an, a creator, on site at an NFL game each week of the season, beginning in week one and going all the way through the Super Bowl. The NFL will, you know, document that creator's experience and kind of release it through a uh, serialized shorts offering. So I think the, that footprint um, should be relatively present. There are, you know, ideas we're exploring, you know, with alternate audio and figuring out the right way to introduce that. I think that's, you know, I, I imagine we'll talk about, you know, interactivity in, in a second or, or before we wrap up here. We want to be really thoughtful about the experience we're, we're delivering. We know that especially sports fans in general and NFL fans specifically have certain expectations about the way a game's presented and how it's offered. And we want to make sure that we're meeting the desire, you know, the user desire to have interactivity on YouTube. We're meeting kind of our own aspirations and ensuring that our streams feel like YouTube, but we don't want things to necessarily feel disruptive. So creators, you know, will be woven into the experience uh, in a number of ways. You know, that kind of, you know, shorts example is just one of them, but we also, so, you know, want to balance that with the expectation of just a core NFL fan who just may want to watch a game. Yeah. Well, once, once again, we're just in perfect sync because I am going to talk about that interactivity in the sense of you're talking about lean in versus lean back experiences. And we heard people speaking earlier talking about, you know, in-game betting. And then obviously the NFL in particular, uh, pretty massive when it comes to fantasy sports. Uh, there's all different kinds of things that, you know, people can do, even, you know, second screen devices with Twitter and how that, you know, the, at least the way I interact with the NFL. For you guys, how are you finding that balance between that lean back versus lean in experience in terms of we know people like to watch football in this specific way. Let's not overwhelm them. But at the same time, you know, we do want to, to be unique with how we can deliver the package. Yeah. So I think this will evolve over time. But as I think about 2023, or at least the near term, you know, we've obviously invested and will continue to invest in the live sports viewing experience on YouTube TV. In addition to, you know, the features that fans, you know, love unlimited DVR, personal, personalized recommendations, et cetera. We do have sports specific features that allow fans to uh, watch key plays, for instance, you know, highlights from earlier in a game that they're viewing. We, you know, we have the ability to hide spoilers and there's a stats experience there. We'll build on top of that. We'll take the learnings from uh, kind of, you know, that YouTube TV viewing environment and build on top of that. That. And then similarly, you know, there's been a ton of live streaming with sports that we've done on, on the YouTube main app. And we've seen things like live chat and polls and shopping, you know, play a role, play a role in that experience. So we're going to take those learnings and figure out the right way to weave it in. But, you know, like everything else at YouTube and broader Google, I think we have some ideas that we're excited about, you know, kind of we'll find the overlap with the ideas that the NFL is excited about. And really the users are our, our user base is very vocal and we expect them to give us a pretty clear feedback 
feedback about how they're feeling about the experience that we're driving. But I think there'll be those, co those core sets of features. And then as I mentioned, we're looking at different ways to discover content, you know, looking at different ways, you know, to allow users to view content, be it, you know, watching multiple games at once in the same screen, it's, you know, and things of that nature. Awesome. If we could pull up Slido, we've only got a couple minutes left here. So if you do have questions, um, now's the time to get them in, but hopefully, Maybe we'll start with the one from Brian Ring. Key Plays is one of the best features ever invented. Um, it's not changed much since 2018 when it was first launched. Uh, what are you thinking going forward when it comes to highlights? Yeah, so I think we'll continue to evolve there. And I think that, you know, Key Plays, for instance, um, will likely make its way to the YouTube main app. So there'll be an experience, that experience will scale across platforms. But I think, you know, with the kind of, you know, with having the, primary baseline of kind of just game highlights period and in-progress highlights, we expect to lever up the amount of in-progress shorts highlights that we get through our vertical video platform. We're going to think about it holistically. Um, you know, to the, I, I'm, I'm glad that we have a, a key plays, uh, a key plays fan. Um, and I think that product does a pretty good job of kind of, you know, taking you, uh, to, you know, various points of a game or a match. But we're really thinking about how we bring all of the content that is on platform and making that available to users in the way that kind of makes most sense for them. So I would, I would expect personalization and some individualization there. Yeah. There was a question that, that went away, but I, it's more me going back to my old days thinking uh, I used to go to B-dubs, used to have Sunday NFL ticket. Um, obviously, sports is a, a social thing. Is there anything in particular you guys are looking at doing um, in terms of how you maybe bring those people into the mix that are looking at hosting bigger events, something like that? or? Yeah, so we have um, we have residential rights. So our, our the rights that we have for Sunday Ticket will be dedicated to individual users. I think the NFL, um, you know, has uh, has the ability to kind of you know find other partners to help with you know broader venues and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I know Jed, and I can kind of guess why uh, this question is coming up. But obviously, you guys are a streaming first platform. This question kind of comes up with all those. But in terms of latency, is there anything for you guys in terms of how you think about that quality of the experience? Or is there anything you guys already have statistically to say? Because one of the interesting debates we have is how much do fans actually care about latency? Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to answer that question specifically. But sort of, are there any take for you guys in terms of that quality of experience and um, where latency lays in that? Yeah, I think it's something that we're always looking to improve. I, and I think for us, given the like, as I was saying, the promise of YouTube is that on, it'll work on any device. Um, you know, there, there's a bunch of different ways that fans can access both YouTube and YouTube TV. I think for us, it's really balancing latency versus user experience, yeah. right? Meaning that we don't want rebuffering and things of that nature, things that are disruptive to uh, to the actual stream itself. So it's a it's a constant balancing act. But um, rest assured, we have a, a wide array of engineers who are spending an outsized majority of their time, you know, trying to close that gap. All right. Well, I've, we've got time for one last question. Um, I guess this one will make sense because I'm going to actually ask Blake the same question tomorrow. So maybe it'd be an interesting comparison for us. They've obviously launched their NFL Plus platform. You know, that'll have its own limitations in terms of its reach. But for you guys, how do you see that? Is it something you guys are working on together that that can be um, additive? Or were there any conversations around what they're doing with their own DGC platform? Yeah, I mean, we're, it, I think it's I think it's, you know, interesting and not surprising that the NFL would enter into that realm. I think Sunday Ticket and Plus NFL Plus have kind of, you know, very specific swim lanes with the in-market games coming through Plus and Sunday Ticket being focused on out-of-market. But with primetime channels, it's something that we're absolutely interested in exploring further and, you know, hopefully hopefully finding a path to dis uh, to distribution on YouTube. Absolutely. Well, I do appreciate you guys all listening in on that. Um, if you do want to catch John, he might be here for a little bit longer. So you might be able to ask him some more questions from there, but I uh, do appreciate everybody tuning in. So uh, stick around for the next session. Thank you.
Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. Thank you.